This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem Wa ma aktharun nasi walau harasta bimu'mineen وَمَا تَسْأَلُهُمْ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ أَجْرٍ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا ذِكْرٌ لِلْعَالَمِينَ رَبِّ شَحْلِ صَدْرِ وَيَسِّرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَحْلُلْ عُقْتَةً مِنْ لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي فَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهُ وَالصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهُ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ أَمَّا بَعْد Once again, everyone, as-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Uh, today, I'm going to try to talk to you guys about uh, whatever I've come to learn uh, in terms of ayahs number 103 and 104. And actually, I didn't change the title properly on the ayah, so let me do that now. Give me a second. Bear with me. Hi, I'm back again. So the reason I'm so distracted is because I saw the presidential debate last night and my brain got fried and I was ready to give you guys a lecture. But at this point, I thought much of the world's population that observed that disaster is probably not able to concentrate on anything for a while. So if that's what I'm feeling, that must be what a lot of people are feeling. Therefore, I decided to delay the lecture and I'm still kind of dizzy from it. So, but inshallah, I'm back on track. So let's start over again. Ayahs number 103 and 104 of Surah Yusuf. And in these two ayat, this is the start of the core of the final passage. And I talked to you guys a lot about you know, the drawings and kind of how the things are organized. But to keep it simple for our conversation today, you know, from 103 all the way to 110, Allah is going to talk to the Prophet basically about two things. He's going to talk to the Prophet about how stubborn and how um, adamant the his audience, meaning at that time because he was in Mecca, he's talking about the Quraysh, how stubborn they are and how arrogant they are and how dismissive they are of this message. And no matter what you do, they just don't want to hear it. They're just ignoring every possible you know, line of reasoning And they're not learning from what you're giving them They're not learning from all the evidences that you've presented them They don't even look at reality around them They're not learning from the history of those who came before them And they are so, they feel so safe that they can be so oblivious And so dismissive and so stubborn And yet the punishment won't just all of a sudden come and get them That's basically the summary of what Allah is going to tell the Prophet is their state. Like this is where they are. This is how stubborn they are. Which creates an interesting problem. Because if Allah is telling, Allah Himself is telling the Prophet that these people are so stubborn, they're such a lost cause, they, don't, they refuse to listen to the best advice, just they don't want to hear it. They, they, you know, they don't care. 
That's the point that Allah make, makes so strongly in so many ayat over and over again. Then it begs the question, then why am I even preaching to them? Why even bother trying to invite them to Islam? Allah Himself, who knows everything, has told me they're not going to listen. The, the, the knower of the future, the knower of the deep, the depths of somebody else's heart is already letting me know these guys are a hopeless cause. So what am I supposed to do? And after telling the Prophet that, then in the course of this passage, after giving him this, you know, impossible task, and he's already told him practically it's impossible. That's basically what he's told him. These people are not, they just don't want to hear it. Then he gives him a set of instructions sprinkled in between. This, but this is what you must do. This is what you must do. This is what you must do. So in sprinkled in between is conversations with the Prophet Why is that so, so important? Because there's an, an overall parallel to the story we just read and spent, spent so much of the last year reading. Um, and the parallel is that you find individuals, especially Yaqub and Yusuf السلام, who are faced with impossible situations and they have to carry themselves a certain way regardless. They see themselves in hopeless circumstances and yet have a certain kind of optimism. Where is that optimism coming from? Right? In the case of Yaqub or Yusuf, you could say it's their faith. You could say it's the revelation of a dream in the beginning. Maybe it's that the truth of that dream that lets them hold on to faith no matter what happens, because it is a revealed promise from Allah, right? And the, the, the far surpassing that dream is what Allah has given the final messenger, وسلم. it's not encoded in the form of stars and the sun and the moon, and then you have to decipher that code and eventually figure out what that means when you see it materialized. In fact, what Allah has given the Prophet وسلم, is very clear, direct speech. It's there's there's nothing between the lines. The promises are very clear and expressive, you know, ex express promises, explicit promises, and so this is going to be an important study for us to understand the nature of the conversations that happen between Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That's one of the very important features of of the Quran, both in Makki and Madani Quran. There are different kinds of passages, passages about the afterlife, passages about you know previous prophets, passages about disbelievers and hypocrites, and there's lots of different subject matter in the Qur'an. But one current in so many surahs in the Qur'an somewhere or another is a conversation that's directly happening first and foremost between Allah and His Messenger. Allah and His Messenger. Allah and His Messenger. There's a dialogue happening between those two. right? Allah is speaking to Him directly about what He is dealing with at that very moment. In that very instance, that's how Allah is speaking to him. Now, this is also a very interesting direct contrast from what was happening with the prophets we just read about, Yaqub and Yusuf. Why? Because they were going through stuff, but when they were in that state of hopelessness, Allah didn't speak to them directly. Allah, you know, did not, they had faith, they they knew what to do because they had the right principles of faith, of sabr and tawakkul and you know, not losing hope in Allah, of being optimistic, of being grateful, those principles they carried and protecting themselves from disobeying Allah. But Allah wasn't intervening in the middle of a situation to speak with them directly. You saw one circumstance where Yusuf is being thrown in the well, and then Allah Azza wa Jal, you know, intervenes and reveals to him at that very moment, you will be informing them of this as it is being thrown in the well. So there's this direct intervention. What do you find with the Prophet? There's, you know, and, and, and contrast this. 
What is a divine message that came in the story? The, the, the divine, divine direct intervention is either Yusuf being told in the well, as he's being thrown in, you will be telling them about this one day. Meaning you'll be victorious over them one day, right? Another case you can think of divine intervention is Yaqub is living so many years in pain and holding on to hope anyway, but Allah lets him smell the scent of Yusuf. Even though the shirt is dozens, if not hundreds of miles away, he can sense it, right? So this is a this is a gift from Allah. This is not a human thing. It's from and he says when he smells it, even if you're gonna think I'm crazy, you're gonna consider me insane. I know something from Allah you don't know. Now contrast that with the Prophet at hand. He just heard all of that, this, this remarkable narrative. And then he compares his situation. And in his situation, it's not just that he, you know, the, the Yaqub and his son Yusuf faced an adversarial, you know, uh, family members. That's who they faced. They, you know, his sons, or in this his case, his brothers. That's who they faced. Or Yusuf faced other adversarial situations. It's more than that. Allah is telling him, I have given you a gift that is so unique that I'm speaking to you directly to give you hope. I'm not making you wait, you know, many years before you can sense something and just get the hint that the right, that hope is on the way. I'll talk to you directly. And I will, you know, it's one thing to, for Yaqub to say, إِنَّمَا أَشْكُوا بَثِّي وَحُزْنِي I only take my complaints. I only take my grief and what's saddening me. I only take them to Allah. That's what he said, right? And in the case of Rasulullah it's as if Rasulullah doesn't even have to take them to Allah. Allah is saying, I know what you're going through. Allah is telling him. This is an indication of the remarkable love and the intimate connection between Allah and his messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam where in the stories of other prophets you find them turning to allah the prophets turning to allah you find this remarkable contrast allah turning to his prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam it's so powerful it's so incredible like you could have you know just like allah is telling us the stories of the prophets you could have allah talking about how the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam turned to allah and prayed for this or that or the other or he said, he said, Sabrun Jamili. Allah could comment on him in the third person too. And he does sometimes. He does. He talks to us and he speaks about the Prophet ﷺ in the third person. He says, What the messenger gives you, take it. What he forbids you from, stay away from it. When he said, he doesn't say what you give them. He said, What the messenger gives you, which is pretty cool because the words are coming from the Prophet's mouth and he's referring to himself in the third person. Because it's not his words, it's Allah referring to him, and Allah is talking to us through the tongue of the Prophet. Right? But here, the, the thing to appreciate this, this kind of passage in the Quran, this is not the only place, but this kind of passage is its own kind of entity where an intimate dialogue, a conversation is taking place between Allah and the Messenger, and Allah is letting the Prophet know that I know more than anyone what you're going through, I understand what you're going through. And I know what's ahead of you. And I know how impossible the situation is. So first he told him, We already talked about this ayah. Now go back and rethink about that ayah. That is from the news of the unseen that we have inspired to you. You weren't with them when they had made up their resolve and as they had made their scheme. Meaning when they were throwing him in the well, when they made up that decision. 
and they had made up their minds that they were going to do this. And that scheme is that they were executing. You weren't around at that time. What does that tell the Prophet when he hears Allah tell him that? You see, we're saying, what lessons can we learn? But before we even think about what lessons can we learn, the first time these words were experienced were not experienced by us, not even experienced by the Sahaba. They were first and foremost experienced by Rasulullah And Allah wants part of the Qur'an, part of our, the development of our faith, part of our development of our connection with Allah, and our, our connection with revelation and our connection with the Messenger of Allah. Part of that connection is to appreciate when and how Allah speaks to His Prophet. And He's telling him, Look at what I have just told you. And you weren't even there. You were, and I decided to have this conversation with you. It's as if one way you can think about it, this is a little bit radical, but you can think of it this way. It's as if one angle of this story is it started with Allah talking to Rasulullah. Then there's about a hundred ayat that are just talking about the story of Yusuf And at the end of the surah, Allah is again talking to Rasulullah As if to say, this was for you. From the beginning, the conversation was actually first and foremost with you. We have, you know, what is it? We're, we're narrating onto you the best of all stories. On account of the fact that we've revealed, inspired this Quran to you. And you had been from those who had known, were completely unaware. And now at the end, now that you've been made aware, these are from the news that I wanted to tell you. You weren't there. This, is, this, is only, this could have only come from me to you. It's as if the Prophet ﷺ is being made to feel, I am being given this gift over and above. Right? This is, this is more than the, the shirt of Yaqub, given to Yaqub ﷺ. This is more than the mulk. You know, Allah, Yusuf ﷺ thanked Allah that you taught me how to interpret speech. He says, I could, I could figure speech out. And he said, You gave me kingdom, you gave me dominion, you gave me power to change the country, you gave me the ability to help people. You know? And so he, Allah, he thanks Allah for these things. Compare that to what the Messenger hears that this beloved Yusuf, Allah granted him ability to govern over people, Allah granted him the ability to interpret speech, Allah granted Yaqub relief. Through, you know, even after his, the sadness has taken his eyesight away. But by comparison, what has Allah granted me? His own words. His, like, this, and these words that will help me understand everything else and help the world understand how they should see, how, should see, how they should see truth and falsehood. This is the furqan that distinguishes between light and darkness. And I've been given this. This is the appreciation given to Rasulullah. Why is that so important? Because Clearly, you can decipher from the context of the surah that the Rasul is going through terrible grief when the surah came down. And by the end, it's not just that the surah has transformed you know, what the Prophet should feel and the hope that there's going to be redemption, just like there's redemption at the end of the surah of Yusuf with his family and the reunification of you know, loved ones. But actually that Allah Azza wa is giving him relief already through his words. He's already giving him strength. He doesn't have to wait for the... The greatest gift is already being given to them. You know, the most extreme word for happiness, arguably, according to you know, Arabic etymology, the, word, the most extreme word for joy um, is al-farah. 
Farah can be overwhelming happiness and you know overreacting in your joy, like somebody just losing it. How crazy happy they are, you know. And Allah says in a place where people become overly happy over materialistic things. You know how people like when they you know, sports fans when they win a match or something and they just go crazy and like 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 they they start just rioting and jumping on cars and whatever drinking and you know spraying people with drinks and alcohol and all kinds of crazy stuff that's one way of describing that is al-farah so allah says about people that have material gain through the story of qarun la tafrah inna allah la yuhibbul farihin don't be too happy allah doesn't love people that are too happy the context isn't you shouldn't be too happy the context is over material things over frivolous things you shouldn't be so overjoyed these aren't things that are worth joy this much this much extreme you know expression of happiness but that same word is used in another place allah is describing the quran he's describing the quran and he says qul bifadlillahi wa birahmatihi tell them it is by the blessing of allah and an act of his loving care fabidhalika falyafrahu huwa khayrun mimma yajma'un and because of that meaning the quran they should be filled with extreme joy it is better than everything else that they gather is better than everything else that they gather. Quran should be the ultimate source of joy. This is what Allah says. They should be overjoyed because of Quran. And if this surah is about dealing with grief, and the Quran says the words of Allah should over flood you with joy, the first recipient of that joy is Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So he says to him now in this ayah now now we get to the what seems like a depressing part i'll translate both ayat to you briefly first as always and most people no matter how hard you want it know how how bad you want something al-hirs is actually to try everything you can to get to a goal and it's al-ishtihad you know ishtihadan uh, you know, when somebody tries their utmost and goes to every length to accomplish something, they have hirs. That's the word hirs. It's used in, as a condemnation to, of some of the Israelites when Allah says, You will, you will absolutely find them the most zealous, the most enthusiastic, and the most covetous to try to hold on to their life and not die, even more than those who've done shirk. Right? So, uh, this is like people that are afraid to die and just want to preserve themselves no matter what. Integrity is second, preservation of life is first. Justice is second, preservation of self is first, right? Allah is describing those people and says they have hirs. They have the most hirs, meaning the most zealous energy and enthusiasm to preserve self-preservation is their number one goal. Even more than the, the mushrikeen. That's what he says about them. It's the same word that's used for the Prophet ﷺ a couple of times. Here is a verb. At the end of Surah At-Tawbah, which is towards the end of the seerah, he says, حَرِيسٌ عَلَيْكُمْ لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا عَنِتُّمْ حَرِيسٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَأُوفُ الرَّحِيمُ A messenger has come to you from your own, within your own selves, within your own ranks. Everything that hurts you is really hard on him. حَرِيسٌ عَلَيْكُمْ He is so, he does everything he can to protect you in some way. He's overzealous when it comes to you people. And that's the word that's being used here. Most people, no matter how hard you try, no matter how zealous you are, no matter how enthusiastic and how exhaustive you are in trying, it's leaving no stone unturned is the English expression. No matter how much you have done that, they are not going to become believers. They are just not going to believe. Now, 
I, I, I'm getting lost in the commentary. I got to finish translation of 104 too. And you're not, you know, for for speaking to them about this and for the zealous, the, 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 the energy that you exhaust on them, for that energy, you're not asking them for any compensation. And for reciting this Quran onto them, you're not asking them for any compensation. And for calling them to me, to Allah, that is to say, to, for calling them to Allah, you're not asking them for any compensation. You haven't asked for money or power or position. In who Allah, it is nothing but a reminder for all nations and all people. That's the, they, these are the two statements. But let's go back a little. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you some of my readings from tafsir literature. So we'll get a, some idea of the kinds of things scholars talked about when they discussed these couple of ayat. We get a you know a glance at it, and then I'll share with you what I think is just absolutely mind blowing. And in order to really help you appreciate it, I'm actually going to pull up the screen and type some stuff for you so you can visualize it, so we could see some some really beautiful things about the way Allah speaks to the Prophet from a language point of view. And this is also um, you know my way of encouraging you to study Arabic with me, which I announced about earlier. Anyway, أن وجه اتصال هذه الآية بما قبلها أن كفار قريش وجماعة من اليهود طلبوا هذه القصة من رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم على سبيل التعنت. There is this opinion. It's not necessarily all too authenticated, but a popular opinion. So I'm going to cite it. Imam Razi also mentions it. Is that the the correlation between this آية and what came before it? Meaning the آية before was I've told you the story. You weren't there. Right, that's basically what Allah told the Prophet And now he's saying most people won't believe Basically, I'm over-summarizing the, the core ideas Right. So now why, why follow up with Follow the statement I've told you the story of Yusuf That you had no access to With the statement Most people, by the way It doesn't matter how hard you try They're not going to believe He says that the reason for the connection To this ayah the, These two ayat together Is that the kuffar The disbelievers of Quraysh And a group of Jews Demanded this story from the Prophet so this is a popular sort of opinion floating. Again, authenticity-wise, I'm not sure where this comes from, but it is popular. Uh, and it's found. And they did so in order to um, be adversarial. In other words, the Quraysh, it's known that the Quraysh used to go to some rabbis and some knowledgeable of the Israelites and say, um, when this Muhammad, he keeps saying, he's talking about all these prophets and gods, and we've heard you talk about these things. How do we, like, we don't know how to counter him Because we have no knowledge of this stuff you, Can you give me some tough questions So we could throw him his way So he could get stumped Because we don't know how to, you know It's almost like you're, you're trying to have a debate with a doctor And you don't know any medicine So you call your doctor, other doctor friend And say, hey, you want to just Give me something I could throw it just, Let me just get some medical terms to throw in his face Feel smart about myself Kind of thing, you know <laughs> So they say, well, if he, he's an Arab and the Arabs know a lot about their own lineage, but they know nothing of the Israelite lineage, right? And the, the, the complex story and the embedded story of the, the Yusuf and his family and Yaqub salam, and there's so many convoluted pieces to that story in the Jewish account. There's no way he knows this. Go ask him about Joseph. Why don't you ask him about that? He won't know. Let's see how he answers that one. And so they come and they ask, Jama'a min al-Yahud, you know, and Quraysh, they, they both come and ask. And this was for adversarial reasons. وَاَعْتَقَدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ And the Prophet was convinced that maybe when he mentions it to them, that they are hopefully going to become believers. So he's looking at their question that is genuinely a question. 
But their question is for the purpose of stumping him. And that tells you about the nature of questions, right? People can ask you a question because they want to know. And people can ask you a question because their goal is to humiliate you or to undermine you or to put you in a corner. Trap questions. And when he told them the entire story, meaning Allah revealed it to him, they were still adamant about staying disbelievers. Then this ayah came. So Imam Rai says one possibility is when ayah, this ayah came, meaning most people won't believe. Look, they asked, you gave, didn't matter. Because this was never part of the... And it doesn't, it doesn't matter how hard you tried. It didn't matter how, how clearly I gave you the elaborate story. It didn't matter. Secondly, I'm going to circle back to this, but I'll tell you what he's saying. He says it could also be a, a reference to something Allah has said elsewhere. This may be the reinforcement of an idea that Allah has talked about another place in the Quran. And what's that other place in the Quran? This was at the death of Abu Talib. Uh, some argue, this ayah came, that you, no doubt, are not able to guide whoever you love or whoever you've loved. However, Allah, He guides whoever He wants. He's going to guide whoever He wants. Uh, Ibn Ashur adds, And even though it's only, only fitting the character of the Prophet ﷺ, that he's going to hope that people will become believers, Allah Azza wa Jal followed that statement about how, re how remarkable, what a great reason to believe in the Prophet. What's the reason? Look at what I revealed to you. You weren't there when all this transpired. How could you have known any of this? When people hear that, they should just believe. They should say, he's right. How did he have access? Especially those who know the story of Yusuf should say, where did this come from? And how, how did he know this? And how did he expose our lies on top of that as he was doing it? You know, he says, and so it's only natural and becoming of the Prophet to hope that they're going to believe. But Allah followed that up by informing him that most of them aren't going to believe. Um, and then, you know, most people, the ayah says, I translate, most people won't believe. So there's commentary about that. Like Ibn Abbas says, innahum ahlu Makkah. He says this, when he says most people, he's talking about people in his context, meaning the Quraysh. Because you know, um, when we talk about, when we use words like people sometimes, like you're, you're at a gathering and, you know, somebody's acting crazy and you say, people are crazy. You're not saying humanity is crazy. You're saying that guy, that fool over there, that's trying to jump on top of a glass table, he's crazy. But you say what word? People are crazy. Sometimes words that are, you know, uh, uh, all-encompassing, like they're universal, sometimes they can be used in very particular cases. And it's still, it's not referring to all of humanity, like Nas, for example, in this ayah. Nas doesn't refer to all humanity. Nas refers to the, you know, according to uh, Ibn Abbas anhuma, refers to particularly the audience in front of him, the Quraysh. قال ابن لمباري سألت قريش واليهود الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم عن قصة يوسف فنزلت مشروحة شرحا وافيا فأمل عليه صلاة فأمل عليه السلام أن يكون ذلك سبب إسلامهم. This is almost exactly like what uh, Imam Razi said. This is Alusi saying it that they asked him this question and Allah revealed such a, an exhaustive uh, you know, uh, answer to that question, and so he became hopeful that they'll become Muslim. And it's also been said that they promised him that if he can answer this question, that they'll accept Islam. Uh, that when they didn't do so, that Allah consoled him with these words. So they had promised him, they didn't keep that promise, and then Allah consoled him. 
It's also been said It was revealed talking about the hypocrites It's also been said it's talking about Christians It's said it's been about the mushrikeen only And some said it's about the people of the book only So our mufassirun are of varying opinions of who this is referring to But let's go back to the ayah itself Most people won't believe If you hear that most The Prophet is being told Most people are not And by the way, a more literal reading Which I'm more subscribing to is not most people will not believe. That would have been They will not believe. But bimu'mineen makes it it's a flat, straightforward jumla ismiya. And if I say, for example, uh, I uh, I am not sitting. If you can read this as I'm not gonna sit at all. I'm never gonna sit. But you can also read this, this as I am not sitting. And that's an important distinction because Allah is saying in very emphatic terms, they are not believing at all. But it's you can read that as a comment on the present tense. They are not believing at all right now. Because if you think about it, in a couple of years from now, he's going to be in Medina. And a few years after that, he's going to come back and take over Makkah. And when he takes over Makkah, most people are going to what? Believe. Right? Most people are going to believe. So you would say when you read the ayah إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ When the victory comes, you'll see people entering into the religion in groups upon groups upon groups, droves on top of droves on top of droves, droves. So here Allah says most people won't, and there He says everybody will. Seems like a contradiction. It's actually not a contradiction, because Allah is saying, as you see it right now is as, I, as I'm telling you. And you're right, they're adamant about not believing at all. And, and harasta is the past and suggesting you have been trying so much and yet it doesn't yield you any results. And they are just, and I'm letting you know, they've made up their minds. I'm just letting you know, this, this, that's most of them. وَلَوْ حَرَسْتَ عَلَىٰ إِمَانِهِمْ وَبَلَغْتَ فِي إِظْهَارِ الْآيَاتِ الْقَاطِعَةَ الدَّالَّ عَلَىٰ صِدْقِكَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِمُؤْمِنِينَ Imam Lusi adds, and even if you were to insist upon and be zealous and exhaust yourself over the hope that they will believe and you go out of your way to expose the most clear ayat that make it clear, make it abundantly, they remove any shadow of doubt that this is true, this is coming from God Himself, they still won't believe. So that's because they want to hold on to their power, there's no way they're going to let go. It's not that you're not convincing. It's not that you're not trying hard enough. The real reason is they just can't let go of their leadership. They can't let go of their, their power trip, which is interesting commentary because there's a tie back to the story. You see, Allah has woven two stories together. The story of the Prophet the story of Yusuf and his brothers. So when he's talking to the Prophet we should be thinking he talked to the Prophet in Surah Yusuf. Which means, something in Surah Yusuf should be echoing what Allah is telling Rasulullah And when we study, when we go back, we're going to look at the story of Yusuf and say something is echoing the, what the Prophet is going through. You understand? So the two are actually intertwined by the words of Allah. That's what he's done. Because this conversation with the Prophet is not a separate surah, it's part of Surah Yusuf. So he's fused the two together, they should be thought about together. So when we think about them together, what do we get? Well, we get the brothers of Yusuf who were too drunk on their power 
and too insistent on their denial of even their own father who happened to be a prophet. And they still, even though they claim to be believers, they just couldn't get themselves to see things for what they actually were. But despite all the opportunity, and you wouldn't imagine that Yaqub left any stone unturned to get them to follow the right path. There's, there's no way. And so there's a, an interesting echo, just like you love your love for your people and wanting them to come to the right course is a good reflection. It's reflected in the love of Yaqub for his own children. And this is kind of, it's telling how Allah sees the Prophet as like really the continuation of the legacy of Ibrahim And Ibrahim is the father of this ummah, right? Millata abikum Ibrahim, he's your father. And the Prophet ﷺ, because he's following in his legacy, he thinks of his ummah like his own children. He loves us like we're his own children, his own family, right? And then that's what the parallel is being made with Yaqub and his love for his own children and him wanting the best for them. So there's something I deliberately left for the end, you know, at least for the end of discussion of this ayah, because um, it just deserves that kind of special attention. But before we do that, there's one more or, or two more things that I want to highlight inside of this ayah. Uh, ma is the, the, the negating you know, uh, device used in the beginning of this ayah. So ma aktharun nas, wa ma aktharun nas. And the word ma is used, Imam uh, or, or Professor um, Fadl Salih Hassan Ra'i in his discussions on the meanings of grammar, talks about the word ma and how it's, purpose, its its usage in Arabic linguistics is to refute what somebody's saying. So basically there's in Arabic, to make it simple, there's different ways of saying no. Okay, there's different ways you can say no. If somebody's saying something wrong and you correct them by starting to say no, that's ma. If somebody asked me a question and said, hey, uh, is it cold outside? And I said no. I'm not refuting them, I'm answering their question, right? That wouldn't be ma, that would be la. But if somebody came in and said, it's snowing outside, and I said, no. Then that, no, it's not, that would be ma, because I'm refuting them. So you could refute somebody's statement, and you can refute somebody's thought. Okay? Somebody's thinking the wrong thing, you refute them. Somebody's hoping the wrong thing, you refute them. And in this case, what comes across is the Prophet ﷺ is hopeful that they're going to believe. And Allah is refuting them. And the remarkable thing about this ayah, that, actually no, still got to hold on. One more thing. So that, that's the ma, the usage of ma that I wanted to share with you. The other thing that I want to share with you is just the concept of majority. Like aktharun nas. Like, you know, you have in the Qur'an, they are not believers. But Allah went out of His way to comment about the majority's refusal to believe. And in it, there's a connection being made with the concept of majority and being stubborn. The concept of a majority and being stubborn. You know, being in the world of business and in the world of teaching and the world of administration, you learn some things. One of the things you learn is when you're a small business, you're very agile. You can make a decision one day and change course completely the next day and change it back the next day. 
and then try something new the day after that because you are agile, you're a small team, you're, you know, you're moving. When you become a big business, when you have 500 employees and all of them have had their trainings and you've got these offices or whatever, and you say, we're gonna relocate or we're gonna work from home today or we're gonna start a new project. You have to have one meeting in this department, four meetings in that department, then you have to have fights and you know <laughs> all kinds of politics. You gotta because the bigger you know it's like it's like if you have a a small ship or a, a, a canoe, right? You can turn it roll this way, it'll turn this way, roll this way, it'll turn this way. When you have like a you know an aircraft carrier, then it's gotta take a, it takes a long turn. It can't turn on a dime. You understand? So the larger your vehicle, the harder for it to make a turn. So the more a population becomes set in, the more people become set a certain way, culturally, you know, in their habits, in the way they dress, in the way they talk, in the way they behave, etc. Those habits become harder and harder and harder to change. They, just like human beings have a certain genetics, then that society starts to develop certain kinds of genetics. And then when you introduce something new, it's like going against their genes. So there's something inside you that pulls you back. So the, the, this, the, the, a majority is a very difficult thing to change. And that's why people who really change in the world are always a minority. The majority always follows trends and trends are very difficult to turn in a different direction. You can't tell the world today, get off the internet. The world was doing fine before the internet, go back to the days without the web. Because now this is set. It's too difficult to move this out of, out of place. You understand? So or don't drive your cars anymore. It's not going to happen. We're set. This is a pattern of behavior. It's been embedded. It's become a part of our societal DNA. It's not something you can just pluck off and we can function. We can't. An individual can. One person can decide, you know what? I decided to get off the internet and live up in the mountain. He's crazy. But he, he did it. There's a documentary about him on the internet. <laughs> right? But... The point is one person can change, the minority can change, and when they change, what happens? Here's the thing, when everybody around you does things the same way, or you're part of a society, then what everybody does becomes the definition of normal. So, simple example, if there's a highway, all the cars are going in this direction. That's normal behavior. All the cars are going at a certain speed. That's normal behavior. One car is driving at a one mile an hour, two kilometers an hour. That's abnormal behavior. One car is going the wrong way. Everybody's driving this way, you're driving that way. That's abnormal behavior. It's even criminal. It's a crime against the rest of us. It put the rest of us in danger. It could be that's dress code. Everybody dresses a certain way. Somebody else walks in, dressed completely differently. It makes everybody uncomfortable. So the point is the majority starts being perceived as what is normal, what is normal. And then anybody who changes or diverts from that is seen first as abnormal. Second, they're seen as not one of us. They can't be trusted. Are they trying to, they're trying to, you know, change the good that we have? How can all of us be wrong? How can this one person, the only person be right? There's no way we can accept this. So it's not just, I don't believe in Allah, I'm not impressed with the Qur'an. It's not just that. There's a majority, and if I move from this majority, well, anybody who leaves the majority becomes isolated. They become the weirdos. They become ostracized. 
they're the object of criticism and ridicule because they are the fringe. They're the crazies. I don't want to be like that. I want to fit in with everybody else. I want to stay in the majority. So there are, by the way, there's very few people on top. They decide for the rest of the majority what's normal. It's not a democratic process where everybody decided this is normal. Some people on top decided this is normal. And the rest of us accepted it. The rest of us went along with it. So there, was, there was some people in the top echelon of society that decided paper currency is the way to go. And the rest of the world followed. Then some part of the world, the banks decided, governments decided, and those, those are not billions of people, they're not millions of people, they're sometimes not even thousands of people, they're hundreds of people. They decided that we're going to have financial transactions electronically. And now all of us followed suit. Everybody gave in. So it doesn't matter if your wealth is actually just data points, zeros and ones. That's all your wealth is. It's just a number on the screen that you logged into. That's, that's all. It, you know, it's not actual material. right? It's perceived wealth. But that's okay because we all accepted it. So the majority accepts a, new, a normal. And somebody going against that grain will be considered weird and fringe and all of that. Now, look at how the Quran deals with this. When it, now, you can follow the majority in traffic. You can follow the majority in medical advice, maybe. You can follow the majority in good things, too. Because obviously, if something worked and something is successful, then more and more people will do it until it becomes a majority practice. So there's some merits to things that are done by a majority. Not everything the majority does is wrong. But Allah has something about the spiritual and the moral truths of the world. He says about them, if you were to follow the majority of people that are on this earth, they will take you away from Allah's way. The individual thinking is different. Majority thinking is anti-spiritual. The majority of a people think about, you know, um, think about things in a materialistic way. They think about things in a political way. They think about things in an economic way. But they don't think about things in a moral way or a spiritual way. That's not what a majority is able to do. So, if you follow the majority, they will take you away from the path of Allah. In that, all of that, there's a miraculous sign. Most of them will not believe. This idea of kathirun haqqa alayhimul adab. So many. Punishment has become deserving for them. The major, a huge majority. Punishment has become deserving for them. Our Prophet now we come to the ayah that I really wanted to get to talking about this Look at what Allah says to His Prophet He says If you are so insistent and so zealous to try and guide them Allah will not guide the one who He has decided to allow to stay in misguidance This is similar to this ayah, right? No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try They're not going to believe or they're not believers Now let's look at this ayah closely I'd like you to show me the show, show them the screen and I can type this up and pull my laptop over here. Okay, you see that screen over there? Okay, so I'm gonna type here. Okay. So the ayah is Wama Aktharun Nasi. وَلَوْ حَرَصْتَ بِمُؤْمِنِينَ 
So today's tafsir of Surah Yusuf and a little bit of Arabic class too. So in order to help you understand this, let's give you an English sentence. Um, if I say, Uh, the weather today, I am so grateful, was cooler. That's the English sentence, yeah? This is not the translation of the ayah, by the way. <laughs> so you take a screenshot, deviant, no man khan, look at the translation of the, calm down. Okay, the, the weather today, I am so grateful, was cooler. Okay. Actually, it's a simple sentence. The weather today was cooler. That was a sentence. And there's another sentence, which is what? I am grateful. So I could have said the weather was cooler, or the, the weather today was cooler, I'm, I'm so grateful. It could have been two distinct sentences. But what did I choose to do? I chose to take this I am so grateful, which was actually a separate sentence, and kind of stuff it in between the rest of it. This is jumla i'tiradiya. You don't have to know that. This is an interjection, like a, a you you stuff a sentence inside an existing sentence. Normally, you finish one sentence, then you say another sentence, right? But sometimes you talk like this. This is actually also understandable. The weather today, oh, I'm so grateful, was cooler. You know, you you can do that. Now, what's the point of doing that? Rhetoric, the argument is rhetorically, the point of doing that is before you comment on the weather today, you really want your listener, your listener to hear your enthusiasm or your gratitude. You want them to know how relieved you are. And them knowing how you felt, because there's two things. The weather was cooler. How did you feel about that? Maybe you don't like the cold, right? But you felt that the person you're talking to, it's more important for them to know that you're grateful before you even tell them what you're grateful for. Because really, when you were speaking to your audience, whoever they were, you called your mom, you called your grandpa, whoever, and you told them this. Somewhere in your head, maybe our, our processes are not this complex, right? But maybe if you are this thoughtful, then you say you felt that they should hear about your gratitude before they should hear about what you're grateful for. You get it? Now, of course, most people aren't this thoughtful when they speak, they just kind of blurt things out and not take who they're talking to or this complex process into consideration. But let me guarantee you, people of eloquence in old times and most certainly Allah takes these things into consideration. So here's the thing. Meaning, the part I made red is a separate statement. So let me translate without the red. And most people are not believing. Isn't that a straightforward sentence? They aren't believing at all, actually. Most people know your no, don't be so hopeful, don't be so optimistic. No, most people aren't believing at all. And then you can say most people aren't believing at all, no matter how how zealous you've been. 
no matter how hard you've tried. You could say that, right? But Allah decided that He put that in the middle. So the, mufas, the, 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 the scholars of grammar and the scholars of tafsir, when they talk about this ayah, they say, well, that between the subject and the predicate of the sentence, this other thing was introduced. So let's put this in English now so you can see. And it's not a literal or, or, or a literary translation, but for the purpose of teaching, I'm keeping it simple. Most people aren't believing. That's the sentence. And in the middle, even though you've given your all. Most people aren't believing, even though you've given your all. But what does Allah do? Most people, even though you've given your all, aren't believing. Now the question is why? I've explained this enough. So this is the part in red, right? This middle interjected sentence. Why? It is as if Allah loves His Messenger so much that He knows that when He hears that most people aren't believing and He hears that from Allah, because He can feel that most people aren't listening. There's one thing that He sees it, He observes it as a reality, but He says, but Allah knows better. They'll say, but Allah knows better. They'll turn around. But if Allah Himself tells Him, most people aren't going to believe. These people aren't going to be listening to you. They're not believing. Mm -mm. That's going to be devastating for Him because He loves these people. He loves all of humanity starting with his own people. In fact, even all the way to Hudaybiyah after multiple wars. Mali Quraysh. What is wrong with Quraysh? Why are they so consumed with war? He's still worried about them. He still doesn't want to hurt them. And when he hears from Allah that most of them won't believe, it's going to be devastating. Some of you are, uh, some of you had non-Muslim family. Some of you came into Islam and a good number of your family members aren't Muslim. And some of them have developed a hatred for Islam. They're agitated. They just don't want to hear anything. And it hurts you. But you hold on to this hope that maybe Allah will soften their heart. Maybe one day, maybe from some other source, maybe not me. But something will change their minds. Maybe one, one year they'll show up to iftar and have iftar with me. You have that. Some of you have Hindu family. Some of you have atheist family. Some of you have Christian family, Jewish family, agnostic family. Some of you have family that used to be Muslim. They don't practice anymore. Some of you have kids that just came out and said, Mom, I, just, I don't do this religion thing. And you're heartbroken. But at least you have hope inside. Because Allah didn't close the door on them, right? But here it sounds like Allah is closing the door. But actually, the first thing you need to acknowledge is before Allah told the Prophet the devastating part. This right here at the end, aren't believing that's the devastating part. That's the part that's going to hurt him. And when he hears that part, the first thing our messenger will do, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, is basically, I must not have tried hard enough. I, there must be something that I could have done more. There, there's, there must be some, some, something I didn't think about. Maybe I didn't pray enough for them. Maybe I didn't beg enough for them. Maybe I didn't talk to them this way. Maybe I didn't talk to them that way. Maybe I slept too much. Maybe I, you know, I need to figure out what more I can do. He's going to blame who? Himself. Because he knows he's the final messenger. No other messengers are coming. He knows when people don't listen to a living messenger, what happens to those people in this life and then in the next life. He knows that. So the anxiety of that is devastating to him. So before Allah gives him the tough news, what does Allah do? 
Allah says, but don't ever blame yourself because you've given your all already. Even though you've already given your all. Before I break it to you, I need you to know that I see what you've put in. Allah comforted, consoled, validated his messenger and his efforts. He did that first and then told them, told him they aren't believing. And the, the, then I said, I didn't say they aren't believing and I, I didn't translate this as, this is the false translation now, will not believe. I would disagree with this translation. Even though it's possible grammatically, I would disagree with it. Why? Contextually. Why am I saying contextually? Because a time will come where all of them will be what? Believing. And there was a time when Yaqub would give his sons advice and they will not be believing. And the next day they will not be believing. And they will not be believing. And they won't be believing. And they won't be believing. And then years are going to go by and they will be believing. Right? And that's the same thing that's going to happen with Quraysh. But for now, you need to deal with their stubbornness. This is the now look at this ayah from a completely different angle. Allah says to the Prophet in the previous ayah, I told you what nobody knew, and you weren't there. And yet most people won't believe. No matter how hard you've tried, not only have I given the best of all stories. See, the beginning was Allah has given the best of all stories. And by the end, Allah says, You have put in the best of all efforts. Because you could have the best, you know, the best product, but not the best salesman. It's not selling. You could have the best book, but not the best teacher. It's possible, right? You could have the best car, but not the best driver. You need both. The beginning said, I'm telling you the best story possible. Nothing's missing in this story. This should be enough for anybody to come to faith. And at the end, well, if the story is perfect, it must be my imperfection, the Prophet would sing thing to himself. Allah says, no, before I tell you that they still won't believe, let me tell you, nothing is short. There's no shortcoming on your part. So powerful. This is the perfection of the kalam of Allah, and it is the perfection of the effort of Rasulullah And together, these become irrefutable proof. Rasulun min Allahi yatlu mutahara. This is the definition of bayina in Surah Al-Bayina. The most clear proof. What is the clear proof? Messenger of Allah that reads the scripture. The messenger himself is a proof. The scripture reading is itself a proof. That's happening here. So he says, And then he adds, now, by the way, let me tell you, I'll give you an analogy. And we can get out of the screen now. So the, the rest should be easy without the screen, inshallah. Um, so let me give you an analogy. If I were to, like, let, let's just say that, you know, you are a friend of mine and you went for a job interview. And I know you're brilliant. Any company would be lucky to have you. You're going to the job interview, they don't pick you, right? You're not, you're disappointed, you're hurt, they didn't pick you. But I'm not hurt. You know what I am? I'm mad. I'm your friend, I'm mad. Like, they're idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. You know what they missed out on? Seriously? They're going to skip you? How are they going to do that? I know better. In other words, I'm going to advocate for you because I love you so much and I know what you put in and I see that that wasn't fair, right? Look at the next ayah. Most people won't believe. Isn't just Allah telling the Prophet, by the way, doesn't matter how much you try, I won't let them believe. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, after everything you've done and after what I've given you, can you believe these people? They still won't believe? And then he says, and what is it? What's keeping them from believing? وَمَا تَسْأَلُهُمْ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ أَجْرٍ 
you're not asking them for any compensation over your zealous enthusiasm. Now, what are, what are the accusations against the Prophet Think about that. What are the accusations? The accusations are he's a poet, he's a storyteller, he's a mind reader, right? He's a magician. By the way, when someone's a poet, they're basically a musician, right? An entertainer. Entertainers, why do they entertain? Because they want to get paid. A magician, why does he do magic? Because he wants to get paid. A mind reader, why does he say, you're going to have twins? Why does he say that? Because he wants to get paid. Mind readers, magicians, storytellers, all of them want to get paid. That's why they do it. When they accused him of these things, well, that accusation would fall on its face every time, not only because of what he's saying, but also the way he's carrying himself. He's never asked you for a penny. He never asked you for anything. And then, you know, the more the, the more concerned someone is, like, you know, a terrible example, but like car salesmen, if there are any car salesmen watching, all due respect. But I try to avoid going to a dealership. Not That's the place I was practicing social distancing before the days of social distancing. Because when you go to a car dealership, those people don't let you go. And the more clingy they are, the more you can tell they are desperate to make the sale. So when they see the desperation, the hirs of the Prophet the zeal of the Prophet the energy of the Prophet the not giving up attitude of the Prophet the relentless, persevering, just listen to me, listen to me, listen, listen to this ayah, listen to this ayah, listen to this ayah. They say, what does he want? Like, just tell me what you really want. Because in life, when someone's after you like that, every time, what do you think? What do they really want? Why are you after me, bro? You know, what, what, what is it? Just get to the point. Can you get to the point, please? I've been around the block. When people follow you around like that, they want something from you. Right? We, we're living, we live in a, a matlabi world. We live in a world where people have their own agenda. So when somebody's giving you time of day, giving you a call and say, Assalamu alaikum, how are you? How's it going? Ashala, you good? You, you okay? Family's okay? Everybody's okay? You're like, this, this guy hasn't called me for two years. So he didn't just call me to say, Alhamdulillah, how are you doing? How's everything okay? Just wanted to check on you. And some people play it real. They play the long game. They just call, call to check. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. I'm really happy to hear. Good to be in touch. Then they'll call another week from then. And then ask. Because they don't want to give it away the first time. I'm going to soften the agenda. But some people can't. Alhamdulillah, how are you? Hey, by the way. Uh, you still got a second car? Because... Uh, I'm going on a road trip. I want to use your car. So, <laughs> do you see the, see the thing? When people are after you, they must want something. He's been after them for years, but in the most dignified way. He didn't beg them. The, Allah forbade him from begging them. Allah told him directly, Tell them the truth comes from your master. Whoever wants, they can believe. Whoever wants, they can disbelieve. That's on them. When somebody frowns and walks away, when the Prophet was frowning because of the blind man, Abdullah ibn Maktoum, and because the leader came and gave him time of day, and you know, Allah, what does Allah say about that, that person? Allah says, No, 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 let them go. Oh, they think they're a VIP? No, let me tell you what's important. More VIP than them. This revelation that came from the skies is way more expensive than any rank they will ever have. They should be honored to be in its presence. You are not honored to get a chance to talk to them. Let's let everybody be clear. 
And the blind one who came running towards this revelation is dearer to Allah than the minister or the governor or the millionaire that was willing to listen to the Prophet that's the, a message was sent in the Quran about who's valuable and what's valuable. And he says, and if he wanted money from you, then the governor's already offered him. They offered him government in Quraysh. They said, pick a woman, we'll give her to you. What do you want? Gold, silver, money, trade, how? What do you want? Just tell us what you want. Because that's how they know how to deal with people. They can buy people. That's anybody who is coming into the public space, the public space, and says, I'm here for the public good. They must be a politician or a businessman, or in our case, both, right? In this country's case, both. And if they're a politician or a businessman, there's something behind it that they came in here for. They didn't just come for public service, come on. What else? Is it the thirst for power? Is it the thirst for money? Is it fame? Is it recognition? What is it that you want? And Allah Azza wa says, if He wanted ajr from you, this question, and you are not asking them for compensation in any way, shape, or form whatsoever. Now, before I continue, finish the rest of this ayah, it's very powerful. Before I finish this ayah, somebody could argue, well, no, but, uh, but he did. When the Prophet moved to Medina, didn't people have to give money? Didn't Suratul Anfal come and tell the believers that a portion of the money that's gained from the battle is to go to Allah and His Messenger? Isn't that the case? Aren't there ayat that came? That said, you have to give something, and you, the Prophet ﷺ has a right over you. Aren't there ayat like that? Isn't the uh, the Prophet ﷺ asking people to spend, spend, spend in the path of Allah? The answer is very simple and very powerful. You know, nowadays because of, you know political campaigns and all that stuff, right? People want to ask for money. They want to ask for a donation, right? And I'm asking you on behalf of so-and-so. I'm asking you on behalf of the masjid. I'm asking you on behalf of the party. I'm asking, I'm asking, right? So you could expect the Prophet to say, give me for the sake of Allah. Right? Or Allah could say, lend him money and I will pay you back. Right? Because technically, when you're giving, you're not giving to Allah. Allah is in the unseen. Who are you giving to? Rasulullah And Allah could reveal, Give to this messenger, but when you give to him, I got his back. I'll back his loan. I'll get you paid in the akhirah. But give him. That's not what Allah said. Allah never said, compensate the Prophet. He said, Who will give Allah a loan? Allah deemed it more appropriate to say the words, Who will give a loan to Allah? Than to say, give to the Prophet. You see that? The statement here is, he doesn't ask you for compensation. And, what, and someone says, but he did in Medina. And the answer is, no, he didn't. Allah did. The Messenger never did. The Messenger is not asking you for compensation. And he's not asking you for compensation, especially for this da'wah. If he's ever asked, he's asked for what? For the, the path of Allah. For Allah Himself. And he doesn't have to ask, Allah asks for him. And Allah doesn't even put his name in it. Who will give the Prophet alone and Allah will multiply it? No, 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 no. Who will give Allah alone? And Allah will multiply it. <laughs> Man, I, I think about that like when, when you don't want to associate, like you and I are, may Allah keep us independent 
the idea of asking somebody for a, for a loan is embarrassing. It's an embarrassing situ situation to be in. But when the Prophet ﷺ, Allah doesn't even put him in that position. Allah does not put him in that position. Allah puts himself in that phrasing instead of his Nabi. He says, you're not giving to him, you're giving to me. Which is a tafsir by itself. So he says here, he's not asking you for any compensation. And by the way, the more valuable you get something you give to somebody, the more compensation you should get. Isn't that the case? And here you have Rasul being dismissed completely, no matter how much love he gives them, and that much care, and that much concern, and the teaching that he gives you is more valuable than any teaching on earth that has ever come and will ever come. When you and I pay top dollar for education, top dollar to have access to the highest sources of knowledge, and the higher up your education goes, the more expensive it gets, the more exclusive it gets. And the more you, you have to pay for it, you know, the more you have to like sacrifice for it. And here you have the highest message, message from the heavens being given, and he's not asking for a penny. I'm not letting him. And he would never do it anyway. And then he says, this is the most epic part of these two ayat to me. And this is what we're going to conclude with. The Prophet is being told, as, as far as you can see it, the majority will believe or not believe? Not believe. So what does that mean as a corollary? Only the minority will believe. Right? So the Prophet's already being told, you're going to have very few. And then story after story of Prophet is telling him, reinforcing the same thing, which is what? Only a few believed with him. Few, few, few in every story, few, 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 and few. And Allah is then saying something so powerful. He says, this is nothing but a reminder for all nations and all people. You can even add all generations. You know what the connection is? The few, listen to this carefully. This is where my mind was just exploded. The few that will believe are going to take this all over the world. So what if this little village doesn't believe? This is a reminder for all nations and all people. And how could that statement be true if it never reaches all nations and all people? If you say this is a this is a message for the earth, but it's uh, something you wrote in your on your on the wall in your living room, it's not a message for the earth. You're delusional. It didn't reach nobody. If this message is not going to leave Mecca or not be, leave the Arabian Peninsula, how is it for all the nations of the world? What did Allah do in these? You would think the ayat are it's so hopeless. They're not believing. They're not believing. Allah says this: you're, what you're going through is just a seed. There's a tree and then a forest and then it's coming. And what is that? That's the expansion of Islam to nations upon nations upon nations upon nations from the minority that will believe with you. So what is Allah telling him? That minority is heavier than any majority. The most remarkable people to Allah, the most valuable people to Allah are usually very small in number. In politics, numbers are power. In military, numbers are power. In sales, numbers are power. In finance, numbers are power. In social equity, numbers are power. On social media, the number of followers is power. Power comes with number of people. How many people you got? I am more dignified when it comes to manpower. I got more people. The more people you got, the more powerful you are. Allah flips that equation on his head on its head and says most people 
They don't have what, what I value, which is compensation. And by the way, what's the next thing people value? Compensation. And these people ask for no compensation. So everything we deem valuable, majority and money, are the two things these people don't have. They don't got the majority. And Abu Dhar Ghaffari doesn't have no money. Abu Bakr Siddiq and Umar bin Khattab and these, these even the wealthy Sahaba are leaving stuff behind, going homeless. They're, they've got nothing. They got Iman though. And Allah says that Iman is so powerful, that light inside of their chest is so powerful, it's going to light up this planet. It's going to become dhikrun lil alameen. In huwa illa dhikrun lil alameen. It is, this, this is a really small statement. But it's giving the, the Prophet ﷺ the grandiose vision of what this Qur'an is actually meant to do and how much bigger it is than these people who think they are too big, too good for it. They're too, you know, they're too busy to, or they're too powerful to, to acknowledge it. It's too easy for them to dismiss it because it's not going to make them any money or it doesn't, you know, what does he want anyway? They can just dismiss it and ignore it and ignore you. I don't ignore you, I see your zeal. And I know that zeal has led to very few people believing. But those very few, man, quality over quantity. May Allah be pleased with them. You know, they are ple- Allah is pleased with them and they're pleased with Allah. Those, those people. That changed the earth. This is Allah teaching us a lesson that is so timeless and actually even more relevant today than perhaps in many generations before us. And that is that we have become uh, hypnotized by the power of numbers. We think of accomplishment and the ability to bring change and the ability to make the world a better place. When we think of any of of these things, we think of the power in numbers, like everybody else does. But Allah wants us to think about the few that are going to leave a mark on the the earth because they are VIPs to Allah. And that ayah in Surah Al-Kahf, this is what I'm going to end with, I promise. In Surah Al-Kahf, Allah Azza wa Jal told the Prophet because the people weren't listening, it's the same subject. There, you know how the conversation between Allah and the Prophet is one of those conversations. People just aren't listening. They're not accepting what he's saying. No, Nobody's accepting Islam for a while. He says, Keep yourself patient. Basically be content. With those who are with you, those who call on their master night and day. They want his face. They don't want to win a majority. They don't want to win power. They don't want to overcome the enemy. They, they don't, that's all secondary. They want his face. They want to be able to see Allah. When judgment day comes, they want their faces to be lit. That's what they want. Let your eyes not turn away from them. Whew. The statement. Think of the gravity of that statement. Our messengers being told, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, don't let your eyes deviate away from them. Your eyes shouldn't deviate from them. Don't even look to somebody else. That's how important these people are to me. We, the world is told, focus on the Prophet. The Prophet is told, focus on these people. And the people who are calling on Allah night and day, they had no power, they had no money, they had no military, they had nothing. And he says, this, these are your gems. These are my VIPs. You know, you say, I need to talk to them because they got connections. Allah says, these people, they got a connection to Allah Himself. These are your VIPs. Pass, pass through the ayah quickly, skip some parts. 
well, um, um, don't be influenced by and don't listen to someone whose heart we've made empty of our remembrance. They only follow their whims. And their decisions are always one kind of, either they're, they're going overboard in something or not doing enough in something else. Meaning he's saying when you go after the wealthy and the powerful, they have no remembrance of Allah. They're too drunk on their own. They, don't, they do dhikr of themselves. They do dhikr of the mirror. That's what they do. And every decision they make is either excess or shortage. They fall short of responsibilities. They go overboard in some crime. Or their, you know, whatever execution they do. This, these people, don't pay attention to them. Don't follow them. Follow those people. Man, if you and I decided that that's who we're going to take influence from, that's who we're going to follow. Those few that Allah values. They may not even be on the internet. They may be somewhere in your life. But they are incredible people that you just want to be around. Being around them changes your worldview. Being around them calibrates you. May Allah Azza wa Jal grant us those kinds of people. May Allah Azza wa Jal help us develop and nurture a love for Him, for His Word, and for His beloved Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and keep us loyal to them. Barakallahu li walakum fil Quran al-Hakim, wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa bil hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. No, I'm not going to do it today. <laughs>